Welcome back, everybody, to Discourse from the Big Chair, the number one Tears for Fears podcast in the universe. And as far as we know, probably the only Tears for Fears podcast in the universe. If you've been listening to us for a while, you know that this podcast originally started off as uh, Steve Coleman, super fan for Tears for Fears, and me, Steve Cuff, guy who really didn't know that much about the band. And originally the idea was to expose me to Tears for Fears and have Steve Coleman, super fan, kind of turn me into a fan. And he was successful. It happened. We've seen him live twice. Uh, the podcast was a big success. It's been a lot of fun. And every once in a while, we like to kind of come back, do another episode when something new develops with the band. And what do you know? New developments. Oh, big new developments. Lots of new developments. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this later in the show, but we want to kind of tease what's going on. Um. Tears of Fears, as of literally yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. They dropped a new song, which we're gonna we're actually gonna end the podcast talking about our thoughts on that. And in addition to that, they're on tour. They're on tour. They're on tour with Hall and Oates. With Hall and Oates. <laughs> a little blue-eyed soul, baby. All is forgiven between <laughs> Tears for Fears and Hall and Oates. See, this is interesting because I, I did not know that there was beef between Tears for Fears and, and Hall and Oates. Can you tell me a little bit about this? It was big beef. Tell me about the beef, big man. Beef. Um, I want to say sometime late 2005, uh, Tears for Fears was at the tail end of promoting Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. And there was a planned tour for them to co-headline with Hall and Oates on the east coast of the U.S., and some at some point, the last minute, well, I don't know if it's the last minute, but just before the tour was supposed to start, Tears for Fears pulled out with really no explanation. And even just remembering back at that point, I don't think that they ever heavily promoted the shows. I think it was just like they had been touring this album for over a year. They're probably exhausted and just backed out. And then uh, Dara Hall... Of Hall and Oates. Mm-hmm. The titular Hall. The titular Hall of Hall and Oates. Went to the press, like, had this, this interview promoting one of the shows out on the East Coast, and they were asking him, like, hey, what happened to Tears for Fears? They were supposed to be on this tour instead of Todd Rundgren, who wound up replacing them. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't know what happened. Contracts were signed. They're jerks. And I... <laughs> it's something like I wish, like, the worst for them or something like that. You can Google it. You have to dig through, but the article still exists. I want to say it was for some paper in Virginia or maybe Connecticut or something like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, they were supposed to go on tour more than 10 years ago, and it just fell apart. So to hear this announcement that they're going to be touring together now was a little surprising. And it kind of came out of nowhere, especially because it's such a massive tour. They're basically going everywhere except for like the Pacific Northwest. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Uh, I mean, we talked about this. You and I are obviously based in Milwaukee, and every time we've seen Tears for Fears, we've had to travel. We've been to Detroit, we've been to Grand Rapids, and when was the last time that Tears for Fears was even in Milwaukee? It was in 2004. Uh, They're promoting Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, and I was in college in Minnesota, and I saw them up in Minneapolis, but Mm -hmm. at the time I was planning to see them in Milwaukee two nights before they played Minneapolis, and I couldn't go because the Milwaukee show was 21 and over. (laughs) Which just shows you how long ago that was. Um, So this is going to be a big deal for me to see them in my hometown Mm -hmm. and to not have to travel a great distance, although I am going to see them in St. Paul two nights before. Super fan Steve Coleman. 
that and that'll be a first for me to actually like travel and see them twice on one tour. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be a unique experience and experience it with different people on both shows. Sure. Uh, so a couple, couple quick questions. One, do you think that we're going to hear a, a, a different set list? I know the set list that we heard in Grand Rapids and then the year before in Detroit was largely the same. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple little things swapped out here and there, but pretty much the same across the board. Uh, do you think we're going to hear anything new? Uh, and when I say, do you think we're going to hear anything new? I mean, are we going to hear any old songs reinserted in the set list? And do you think we are finally going to hear new material from Tears for Fears? I hope, and I kind of think both. Okay. Um, I th- you can, can we go back to the last time we had this conversation before we went to a concert, and then? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I this, feel like you said the exact same thing last time, but this makes more sense. I think it makes more sense this time. I think that maybe there's, um, since there's two bands on tour and they're co-headlining, like there's more ego involved. Mm-hmm. And I know Hall and Oates have been talking in interviews about how they're going to bust out a lot of songs they haven't played in like 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, both those guys are like 20 years older than Tears for Fears. Really? They're old? Maybe not quite. They maybe not twenty, but they're both like super seventy. Wow! And both Roland and Kurt are like fifty-five. That's <laughs> none of them are spring chickens, for God's sakes. But yeah, um, I did not know that. Huh. Yeah, so they have quite a bit of head start. But I know that they're playing a lot of new material, and I'm hoping that since this is such a large scale tour, and one thing we can't forget is that while we're seeing them, you and I, Steve mm-hmm. Guff, for the third time together. And for me, this will be my eighth and ninth time seeing them live. Sure. Holy crap. Um, That most of the people in the audience haven't seen either one of these bands Mm -hmm. for probably a very long time, if it's not their first time seeing them. So, obviously, the usual suspects are going to be there. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping maybe there will be a few changes. Like, if I don't hear Bad Man Song again, that's fine. As much as excited as I was to hear it for the very first time, and it was a big surprise, mm-hmm. I think, like, man, like, if they're touring with Hall & Oates, who I suspect tour with the trumpet player, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a good chance we could hear something like The Working Hour. Oh, that'd be cool. Maybe on every single date. And based on the new material that was leaked, or not leaked, but sneakily released by Roland Orzabal, there might be even more hope for that. I guess more on that later. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the working hour. Are there, are there any other songs that you'd like to hear live, maybe that you haven't heard live yet, or that they don't generally play live? As far as songs that, that, that I think have the best chance of being played live that I would like to hear that I haven't, mm-hmm. I always think there's a possibility you could hear more songs from The Hurting. Okay. It'd be great to hear the titular track from The Hurting. Oh, live. that'd be great. Do they, do they ever play that live anymore? They haven't... Since, like, 1990. Oh, wow. Okay. And I feel like that'd be a pretty easy song to play, Mm -hmm. and I think you'd have enough people recognizing it. Um, You know, any song they play off of songs from The Big Chair is always going to go over. Sure, sure. And it's a short album, so they play half that album without playing any of the deep cuts anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they pretty much already play everything off of Seeds of Love, though, I'd want to hear live. Yeah. 
Um, Am I finally going to get Mother's Talk live? <laughs> we tried and failed to start a hashtag campaign to get him to, to play Mother's Talk. Yeah, Please really- make it happen, Roland. You're out there. I know you're listening. Kurt, Roland, <laughs> guys, guys, it's us. It's Steve and Steve, you boys. Mother's Talk, man. Come on. At this point, I would even take just a teaser of Mother's Talk. Maybe even just like a medley of like <laughs> songs that weren't as big of hits as the big, big hits. Yeah. Like in Throwing the Way You what if, what if they just gave us that like synth hit intro and then they just immediately transitioned into something else completely? They, then they transitioned to the riff from Badman's song. <laughs> Actually, I'd kind of be for that. Yeah, that'd be funny. I'd like to see that. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. Um, I could take that kind of antagonizing. I'd be okay with it. So, yeah, I mean, there might be a lot of surprises, though. Mm-hmm. I think because they're technically going out to a bigger audience than they've had in a long time, even though they do these frequent small-scale tours in mm-hmm. front of relatively big crowds. They're not playing these, like, 15,000, 20,000-seat arenas, too. Sure. Um, so this is going to be a very different experience for them. And they're going to places that they haven't been to in 10 years, 20 years, maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many shows they've done in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> I would argue that they've never been to Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, have you ever been to Des Moines? It's a happening town, baby. It is. Just ask the people who own escape chambers. <laughs> uh so the the other question I want to ask you when when does this tour start? Like has it started already? I mean we're we're recording like mid April. I think we're about three or four weeks away. They start okay. in early May. I think. So we have no idea what their set list looks like. Are you going to spoil no. it for yourself? I'm going to try to avoid reading the set lists. Okay. So yeah, if you're listening right now, don't don't tweet us the set list. Don't do that to us. Come on. But I have Come a on. feeling. I may wind up getting a peek anyway. But, yeah. but I'm also hoping that maybe this is like the kind of tour where every now and then they throw in a surprise song. The very first time I saw Tears for Fears, they weren't playing the song Change. And the only time they did it on that tour is when I saw them in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. And That's cool. they didn't do it again for probably six or seven years after that. Now it's mm-hmm. part of their regular set list. Yeah. But... That's actually one of my one of my best memories from seeing Tears for Fears is when the massive Grand Rapids hurricane death yeah. storm hit, like right when the chorus from Change hit. It was that was incredible. That was like simultaneously scary and amazing, and just one of the best concert experiences I've ever had. Yeah, totally wild. Okay, so yeah, we're we're both looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, hey, if you're listening, you want to grab a beer with us. We'll be we'll be drunk in Milwaukee before the show. That's a guarantee. Yeah. So, and you can come catch me at the XL Energy Center two nights before too. That's right. If you want to hang out, maybe we'll go see Chance the Rapper the next <laughs> night at the same venue. What's that Venn diagram look like? Chance the Rapper fan, Tears for Fears fan. It's just a, a sandwich for me at this point. <laughs> a sandwich with Tears for Fears and Hall and Oates bread. <laughs> and, uh, and and you're the only filling. Yeah, well, Chance the Rapper. Yeah, the Chance meat. the Rapper. Yeah, he's the meat. I might be the pickle that joins uh, the middle, but... I think our metaphor's been derailed a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> I kind of blew it. Sorry, everybody. Oh, hey, that's okay. Well, on a not-so-light note, uh, the original reason why we wanted to have this podcast, actually, uh, aside from the announcement of the tour, but before the new song was announced and everything, is you found out that Alan Griffiths had passed away. Right. And you told me, you're like, hey, Alan Griffiths passed away, and I was just like, who the hell is that? 
Um, and it turns out he's actually a really prominent figure in a lot of Tears for Fears history. And right now, if, if you're trying to Google Alan Griffiths, if you're trying to look him up on all music, even Wikipedia, there's, there's not a ton out there, mm-hmm. which is a shame because he's actually uh, been pretty deeply involved in Tears for Fears, as, as far as I know. Like, what's yeah. his role exactly? Can you explain that? And I, I'm sure I didn't go to listen back to the podcasts we did on Elemental and Raul and the Kings of Spain. Basically, anything that's termed a Roland Orzabal solo project. Mm-hmm. But Alan Griffiths was essentially filled the role of Kurt Smith when Kurt Smith left the band. Although he wasn't a co-frontman, he didn't do any singing. He did... He co-wrote, I think it was like at least 80% of the songs mm-hmm. in that period from 1992 through 2001 up till Roland Orzabal's solo album. He was very... Inf- instrumental in that as well yeah he was never an official member of tears for fears but for god's sakes like as far as i'm concerned he was yeah tears for fears tears for fears was more of a duo in the 90s than they were in the 80s when kurt smith was actually in the band just because roland orzabal and alan griffiths collaborated on so much like it was a it was a dual partnership and you could even throw Tim Palmer into that as far as him being the engineer and the mixer and the producer and sort of being the deciding vote between those two guys, sort of like Chris Hughes was in the early 80s with Kurt Smith and Roland Orsbull on The Herding and Songs from the Big Chair. All right. So important guy. Important guy. Yeah. Very important guy. Why, why don't you think he's ever really gotten his due? Like it, It's bizarre to me in the year 2017 to Google a name – Get nothing. Google the name in parentheses and then space in parentheses or not parentheses, uh, quotation marks, tears for fears, still get very little. Like this guy, this guy's hard to find information on. He's, he's mm-hmm. way, way, way under the radar. But at the same time, he's worked with big bands even outside of tears for fears, right? Yeah. Um, most notably, he worked with Seal, mm-hmm. um, which I did not go back to and listen to. <laughs> in preparation for this podcast because well, it, it wasn't what well, we talked about this a little bit when we were uh, out earlier and i was just like wait did he this this wasn't peak seal was it this wasn't like batman forever soundtrack kiss from a rose no this is probably a good 10 years after that fact okay um but and i know that they brought alan griffiths along i think in the initial writing sessions for everybody loves a happy ending mm-hmm. um if you go into spotify or if you have the european release of that album there's a song on there called Out of Control, which was written by Roland Orzabal, Alan Griffiths, Kurt Smith, and Charlton Pettis, who's their regular collaborator now. Um, and I think that that was an attempt to get Roland Orzabal's then songwriting partner with Kurt Smith's songwriting partner to see if they could flesh things out. And the song Out of Control is kind of, I don't know, it was a bit of um I don't want to say it was a disappointment, but it mm-hmm. seemed like an, uh, a song that didn't have enough ideas to kind of completely go forward. And it didn't make the cut of the final album. Um, and here it is. And here it is. <laughs> In the background. <laughs> as I as I cue it up late. It, it feels like, it, lyrically, it feels like first draft lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely doesn't fit in with the rest of the record, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, but... 
It's kind of sad because I feel like that was the last attempt to get Alan Griffiths involved, and for some reason he just didn't wind up staying with the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he just didn't want to. Maybe he had other things he wanted to do. Um, but yeah. And he has, and he hasn't worked with them since then either. Like, no. Okay. And he, do you think he's had any collaborative stuff on, on the new material they're working on? Or I would, they, hi- I would highly doubt it. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I imagine we would have heard something by now, but um, he doesn't strike me as somebody who is actually very involved in social media or anything like that. Um, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and interesting background. Um, he started out. He toured with Tears for Fears back in 1985. He was their guitar player um, after their original guitar player left the group midway through the tour. And I think they knew, like, I think Roland knew him before that um, because they are both from the same, like, he's from, Al Griffiths is from Bristol, they're from Bath, which is in the same county in England, Avon. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, uh... Yeah, I think that and they were on the same label when um, Alan Griffiths had a band called The Escape. They actually opened for Tears for Fears, and I'm guessing that's probably how they all got introduced to each other. Okay. And as soon as Tears for Fears breaks up, as soon as Kurt Smith mm-hmm. leaves, Alan Griffiths allegedly approaches Roland Orsbold to do work. Like, hey, do you want to write? Do you want to work on stuff? And at the time, Roland said, like, well, no. Like, just going <laughs> through this messy divorce. Yeah. Uh, musically with my former music partner uh, the last thing I want to do is start collaborating with With another music partner yeah exactly but he wound up giving it a shot anyway Mm -hmm. and a lot of arguments can be made (laughs) probably (laughs) some that people have heard on this podcast before if they listen to the Elemental or Rolu and the Kings of Spain episodes but um, I think it produced some very potent material and some very important material. Tears mm-hmm. for Fears survived in name and I guess Roland Orzabal's career survived because of Alan Griffiths wanting to collaborate with him and sure. inspiring him in some ways to continue writing and continue coming out with new material. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I know that um, some some of the songs that he's collaborated on, like I've, I've clearly... If, if you're new to this podcast... I would recommend going back and listening to our Elemental episode and our Raul and the Kings of Spain episode. I have, oddly enough, softened on Raul and the Kings of Spain. Yeah, this is true, this is This is true. Steve, Coleman that. can verify. He, Steve Coleman <laughs> can verify. And specifically, I think, I explained it to Steve where I feel like Raul's lows are lower and its highs are higher Whereas Elemental just doesn't do anything for me. It just kind of like flatlines. Um, but there's there's a couple of... There's some bangers on Raul of the Kings of Spain, man. Uh, God's Mistake in particular. Yeah, I was thinking about the song earlier today, actually, in that there's really no reason why this shouldn't have been a bigger hit than it was. Yeah. No, this, this is a good song. It's a good hit. Or it's a good... It's a good hit. It's a good hook. And... Uh, it's very of the time. I think I kind of lambasted this album the first time that we discussed it. And I said that it was like them just trying to be as 90s as humanly possible. Mm. And I think that's still true to a degree. But at the same time, 
for when this was released, like this is very of the time, and it's yeah. very like it. It's good. Like I, I could see this playing on mainstream radio, and I don't know why I didn't. And it's just I don't know that little like lead guitar line, everything about it, the the chorus, the hook, everything is it's solid. It's a great pop song. And it's something that I think, um, obviously, Roland Norrisable gets all the credit for, mm-hmm. rightfully so, but that Alan Griffiths does not get nearly enough credit for. Sure. And it's, I guess it's too bad that it took him passing away <laughs> to finally say, like, oh, we really got to talk about him more and yeah. recognize him for what he did. Mm-hmm. But it's jarring to even compare this to what he was doing before he even started writing with Roland Orzabal, before he even played with them on tour in 1985, mm-hmm. when he was just this fan of television, the band, <laughs> making post-punk records in Bristol. Yeah, and let's let's talk a little bit more about that, actually. Um, so, when you made this playlist for me, it was interesting because, one, I was like... I don't know how Steve Coleman is going to make me a playlist because I literally don't know where he's going to find music by this guy. And it was it was difficult to even find Alan Griffith's material on Spotify. Yeah. Like, uh, well, and the fact that it's on Spotify is just mind-blowing to me. Um, this band, I could not find them listed on all music. I, I couldn't find them anywhere. There's like weird... Japanese websites about like CD singles of them and like some other stuff. It's it's very bizarre. You can fall down some rabbit holes with these guys. But this band is called just Apartment or The Apartment. Yeah, I don't know. One or the other. It might just be Apartment without the the. So here's the funny thing. There's Apartment and then there's another band called Apartment or The Apartment or whatever. Apartment featuring Alan Griffiths is a legitimate post-punk band. Mm-hmm. Like this is late 1970s, early 1980s. Whereas this other apartment band kind of existed like mid aughts on the heels of Interpol, which is a band that just ripped off post punk bands. And this is and oh, the other apartment is like an Interpol ripoff band. So it's like a ripoff of a post punk ripoff, a ripoff of a ripoff. Does which that is just wild. mean it's just a rip? I, I guess it's just a rip at that point. <laughs> As in, it just rips. But yeah, it's it's really, it, it's difficult to find these guys. So anyways, you found a couple of tracks, um, and they were very interesting. Um, I actually, I, I, like, I like this band a lot. And we mentioned also The Escape, which we'll talk about them too, but um, Apartment is cool because it's definitely post-punk- in the sense that it, it sounds like Magazine, which is the band that one of the guys from the Buzzcocks started uh, after he left the Buzzcocks, uh, a little bit of Wire, uh, a lot of Richard Hell. Mm-hmm. I think you can really hear that coming through, uh, especially in the way that Alan Griffith sings. I think I think that really comes through pretty strongly. And which I never knew the guy even sang. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thought he was just a, he just wrote music, but yeah, he's. He doesn't have the best voice in the world, but God bless him for trying. Yeah, it works. Like, yeah, it works perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things, too. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm dropping weird fanboy knowledge, but David Byrne used to always say, like, somebody needs to have a bad voice, otherwise you don't believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the other thing that's cool about this band, too, is while in a lot of ways it's uh, it reflects what's going on in, in other post-punk bands at the time, 
I think it has a lot of parallels to pre Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears work. Uh, what's mm. what's the name of the band again? Uh, I keep forgetting. Um, the Graduate. The Graduate. Yeah, like you can you can hear how these bands would have been peers essentially at the same time. Um, but Apartment, in a lot of ways, they I guess they still sound dated in the sense that they don't sound like a contemporary band. But for the kind of post punk music they were making, they sounded more like a mid to late eighties band to me than yeah. than a band that was coming out in like the late seventies in this little town of Bristol where they're not even releasing a full album. Like, it's wild to me that he was making this kind of music. Yeah. And it, I, I feel bad that I, or I feel sorry that I didn't hear this before his passing. Not that it would have mattered, mm-hmm. but just, man, if I would have known about this years ago, years yeah. ago when I considered him as a teenager listening to Tears for Fears in the 90s, the only teenager <laughs> in my area of geography listening to tears for fears like i considered him like this is this is the guy who's kurt smith and he's probably better than kurt smith <laughs> and man like i i'm sort of vindicated in that feeling right now listening to these early songs from apartment yeah uh poison is a track we were listening to just now uh it's it's incredible if you dig late 70s post-punk it's awesome it's as good as it gets yeah which is wild because Honestly, like when you sent me this playlist, I figured, okay, this is going to be half like mid 90s Tears for Fears, which I'm not too high on. And the other half, I thought it would just be like his solo records that sounded like Modern English or Michael Wainwright or something. And I, I did not want either of those things. Yeah. No offense to Michael Wainwright or Modern English. Yeah, it was a big surprise to me, too. I, I love it, and mm-hmm. I highly recommend anybody, even if you're listening to this as a non-Tears for Fears fan, which, why would you be doing that? Mm-hmm. But if you are, and you're listening to this right now, go to Spotify and do a search for uh, Avon Calling. It's the name of this compilation that came out, Avon being the county where Bristol is located in England. And uh, sort of a play on the words of London Calling. It's a compilation of all these like post-punk bands from that area. Mm-hmm. And all I think literally all of the Apartment songs are on that compilation. I don't think they ever released more than five songs, commercially at least. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Um, one of these songs, too, I don't think it's this one. Sorry, this could be great for our listeners. Mm-hmm. If you could only see what we could see. Yeah. Bunch of beer cans and me trying to make this, uh... Yeah, here we go. This is called Broken Glass. Yeah, Broken Glass. There's some, like, really avant-garde stuff. Uh, Broken Glass in particular, I think this is the track that reminds me a little bit of Suicide, which, if you're not familiar with them, uh, go give, like, Dream Baby Dream or Frankie Teardrop a listen, and then you'll kind of get an idea. I mean, obviously, they're not using, like, a synth here or anything, but just, like, the song's composition and... Um, his voice and everything, it's very reminiscent of that late 1970s New York sound, which is weird coming from a guy in the middle of Bristol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just imagining him just happening upon these records, probably listening to Suicide, definitely yeah. listening to a lot of television, a lot of Richard Hell, and emulating that style and that feeling, but not like deliberately being de- derivative of it, that style either, like kind of making it his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we can, we can probably move on to, since, yeah, this Avon Calling compilation series, the volume one, volume two, that's basically the only place we can find this stuff, and it just happens to be on Spotify, which is super cool. Uh, but he also had a band after that, so Apartment Breaks Up, 
and he starts another band with is is the drummer still in the band or is someone else still in the band? I think or? it was the drummer who's okay. still in the band. So him and the drummer start another band, and this band is called The Escape, and it's a little bit different. I'll play and a little bit. I no. think the the what happened too is that they. Um, just as the apartment was breaking up, they were being offered a record label deal from Mercury, same label that Tears for Fears was on at the time. And to honor that record contract, they Alan Griffiths and this other guy, whose name escapes me right now, mm-hmm. uh, formed the Escape to record an LP, and they wound up touring with Tears for Fears at this point too, just in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is. A little bit different, but it also follows the trajectory of a lot of post-punk bands at the time. So I think the thing that first comes to mind for me is um, it's it's almost reminiscent of like early Nick Cave stuff. Yeah. Not quite like Birthday Party, but like actual early Nick Cave records. And it also kind of follows the trajectory of Nick Cave, where if you listen to the Birthday Party, it's like loud and noisy and dissident and just sort of like out there in this weird post-punk noise realm. Uh, and then... The stuff that Nick Cave did after that was it, it was still like kind of dark and gloomy, but um, a little more brooding and a little bit more controlled, and, and that's what you're kind of getting with the Escape. Uh, it also has a little bit more of a new wave influence, but at the same time, if you told me this LP was recorded five years ago or ten years ago, I, I would believe you. It's, yeah, it's it's not something that you can pin down easily in terms of when it was recorded. Other than he's got a voice like Richard Hell, so it makes me wonder if it was 1977 yeah. or not. That's about it. It's strangely both of its time and ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, I, I have to have a hot take, or else it wouldn't be a Tears for Fears podcast episode, because we got to make the, the fans angry at us for something. <laughs> so here's my hot take. I hate this song. <laughs> I think <laughs> the song we're talking about, this is, um, this is called, it's called Girl in the Phone Booth. It's off of... Uh, yeah, they're LP. In the phone box. In the phone box. My my mistake. The phone box. Well, we're Americans. Of course, we yeah. say phone booth. So this is this is called uh, Alan Griffiths loves the hi hat. Just just give it a listen here. Loves the hi hat. That's that's basically all it does. <laughs> We can, we can just leave it here. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah. I think the main reason I put this at least on the playlist for you, The Escape also only has one album. Yeah. It's one LP. You can actually get that on Spotify. And, and also, I, wa- I do want to say, too, this is probably... I- I'm kidding when I said I hate this song. I don't hate it. It's not like <laughs> it's not like ear cancer here. But it's... Um, I don't know. It didn't hook me like some of the other songs. But it's definitely his most Nick Cave-esque song, I think, in terms of... His vocal delivery, like, here, I'm going to turn it up a little well, bit. even Girl in the Phone Box sounds like a Nick Cave song title. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, of course, I say listen to his vocals, and then we get to the part of the song where he's not singing. <laughs> so, that's great. Uh, you know, just some of the magic we do here at Discourse in the Big Chair. Glitter and stars hang around fashion, but with a pleasure You can feel the the ground but yeah, if somebody told me, oh, that's like a, a song that got cut from from her to eternity or something, like I would believe that. Full stop. I feel like this is actually one of the few singles released from the record, too. Because mm-hmm. 
which that all comes down to the record label. <laughs> which, uh, nice job, record label. <laughs> I wonder why these guys didn't make it. Yeah, so they recorded this one album, and that was it. So, so after this, what happens? What happens with Al Griffiths? Well, I think um, he'd sort of reformed the escape with uh, Nicky Holland, who wound up being a major collaborator on the Seeds of Love record. Oh, okay. Um, but basically, at this point, he becomes a session musician. He tours with Tears for Fears in 1985 as their lead guitarist. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the 80s, he just sort of was kind of doing his own thing. He had different side projects and just different musical projects he was working on. I think he was scoring commercials and advertisements. Okay. And then that brings us all the way to probably about 1991 where he starts collaborating with Roland Orzabal on new Tears for Fears material. And mm. it starts out as Baby Steps. They work on the uh, single for the Greatest Hits album, which itself is just a re-recorded B-side sure, with added verses. And what's uh, that one called again? Tears Roll Down. Laid oh, yeah. So Low is the title of the reworked song. Mm-hmm. And um, they just do a lot of like crazy experimenting. They're doing these... like meanderings in the studio where they just not it not like in a jam band style but they're just like trying to like find rhythms and melodies that they like with like 20 minute takes mm-hmm. which is funny to me too because somehow that that doesn't come out really in elemental like i feel like elemental is it's a safe record yeah it's, it's really safe well even elemental the titular song mm-hmm. it uh is actually a reworked B-side that they'd worked on for that same greatest hit single, Laid So Low, Tears Roll Down. Mm-hmm. There's a song called The Body Wah. I think th- they basically just slowed that song down to create the what's basically the rhythm pattern of this entire song. Oh, okay. And, um... I don't know. I know Elemental may not be, uh... Well, I know for you it's not your favorite record, but um, Elemental for me definitely works a lot. And I don't know if it's because like I found it at just the right time in my life, uh, going to the library, renting it, and mm-hmm. thinking, like, oh, man, this is what like really good music is. Like Songs need to be like six minutes long and <laughs> really expressive. And I still feel that way. Like, I... Elemental, I still think is a great song. If they played this in concert, I'd be freaking out. They never will. Yeah, I still think it sounds like Michael Bolton, but you know, agree to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, Roland. If you're listening, you don't sound like Michael Bolton most of the time. Some people would consider that a compliment. Yeah, right. That Valentine's Day special was fun. That's true. And really, how can we be lovers if we can't be friends? You know. (laughs) Oh, if I put you to the fire. Oh, maybe I'm going too deep. Sorry, can I touch you there? Just trying to be a... (laughs) (laughs) Only if you're a soul provider. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, and now we've reached a maximum Michael Bolton joke. Well, so this period of Tears for Fears with Alan Griffiths, like, at least in the elemental period, they reached their final big commercial peak with Break It Down Again. They have their last top 40 hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I, uh, let's cue it up, baby. Oh, yeah, let's cue it up. But, and this becomes their last big hit. It was, um, I think it was like top 20 in the U.S. charts, but it was like the number one modern rock 
hit for a few weeks, and mm-hmm. I think it was eventually beat out by some Red Hot Chili Peppers song. <laughs> well, and it's it's a weird time for them too because um, this is this is not a '90s song at all. Like this this feels. I mean, maybe maybe as an early '90s song, but if you consider, so what what year is it? When is this hit in the top twenty? This is uh, mid '93. This is mid '93. So we are knee deep in grunge, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and then we have Break It Down Again, which doesn't speak to the quality of the song because I, th- I think Break It Down Again is probably the best song on this record, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people probably agree with that, but. Uh, it just it doesn't fit in with what's going on musically at the time. So even the fact that it, it was it was a hit at all is mind blowing to me. Yeah, I think that maybe it just speaks to the power of the song. And this was co-written by Alan Griffiths, and I feel like man, like this was just a big enough hit that he probably lived a very comfortable life just based on yeah. the residuals from this song alone. And this is a song that's like even though it was done in the Kurt Lat- Kurt Smith less years is still a staple of their set list. Sure, yeah. Like, if they don't play this at a concert, I'm very surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, although, so a few days after I learned of his passing, though, I was really intrigued by the song Goodnight Song, mm-hmm. which I would even consider, maybe even possibly hope, that since the untimely passing of Alan Griffith has happened, that now that they're going on tour... Maybe there would be incentive for them to pay tribute to him somehow. Mm-hmm. I could see this being a way to do that, or even probably just before they do break it down again, like Roland's just like, hey, I wrote this with Alan Griffith's R.I.P., and they bust into it. But I feel like this is a very underrated song in Tears for Fears' canon. Mm-hmm. And i got to be honest, too, like I had forgotten about this one. Yep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy in the Tears of Fierce podcast forgot about this song. No, but seriously, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't return to Elemental the record very often. So yeah, this one was a, it was a nice surprise on here. It's a, like it's very well crafted lyrically. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe it has like just a tinge of like adult contemporary feel that mm-hmm. might turn a few people off, but sure. it can kind yeah. of turn your mind off to that. It's legitimately a really fucking good song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all the elements are there. It's It doesn't overstay its welcome. And I could see them constructing this to be like the perfect like closing song to sure. a set. Sure. And it did close a lot of sets, like in 93, 95, 96. But, yeah. of course, they probably haven't played it since then. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those ones where... I'd like to hear this song like reworked by them now and re-recorded without all the like '90s gloss yeah. smeared all over it. And uh, well, again, and like talking about like the fact that we're knee deep in the grunge era, Tim mm. Palmer is producing with them, and Tim Palmer at the time is best known for producing Pearl Jam. Yeah, and and that doesn't really come through here. <laughs> and that's not a knock on yeah, Tim Palmer either. No, but that's just, this is definitely a record of its time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's and I think and that's one thing that we we've discussed extensively um, from I'd say like eighty nine through ninety five, ninety six. Tears for Fears. Mm-hmm. 
I got I got some beef with the production. Yep. <laughs> so much so that uh, an alternate mix of Raul and the Kings of Spain was sent to me in an attempt to sway my... Yeah, from Gruno. Shout out to Gruno if he's listening. <laughs> uh, and Gruno, you'll be happy to know that I, ha- I have been turned. I have he's been. been turned. I've been turned, finally. Raul has finally come around for me. Um, and we've actually, we've, we've talked about Raul uh, quite a bit, but is, is there anything else as far as, like, Alan Griffith's lasting legacy that, that you think should really stick with people, people who are listening right now, or people who might be diving into this later well i think for me personally and it's funny you bring up this song uh to get a little personal or maybe very personal we uh steve cuff and i both work together now Mm -hmm. cuff works part-time where i work at a brewery and we're uh this was probably this was probably the day that alan griffiths died because he died on march 24th and i think it was made public very quietly made public but just like a few days afterwards mm-hmm. so march 24th was a saturday and i was closing the bar it had been kind of a rough night yep. and i had to like count the drawer down i was stressed out i was in a bad mood and you steve cuff mm-hmm. said don't worry steve i'm gonna handle the music for you and you fucking played raul and the kings of spain whole album <laughs> and like Maybe as a joke, but just, like, God, like, at that moment, it's like, that's what I wanted to hear. And mm-hmm. that, like, made me feel so much better. And, yeah, like, and the, but that's the legacy of Alan Griffiths. That's, like, something he collaborated on. That's something he was instrumental in creating. Mm-hmm. And growing up, listening to Tears for Fears, hoping, not even hoping that there was going to be a Kurt Smith reunion, just hoping that he and Roland Orzabal were going to come out with new materials, what kind of, like, kept me going. Yeah. And that's, like, a big part of my life, personally. And maybe that's not something I can explain to people now who listen to these records. Maybe they won't see what I saw or hear what I heard or get the same feelings that I got. But Mm -hmm. just based on his volume of work i mean he alan griffiths is without hyperbole my one of my favorite songwriters of all time Mm -hmm. and it's a damn shame i never got to see him (laughs) yeah um and even with uh roland orzabal's solo album that came out in 2001 he was the co-writer co-producer played on most of it um i didn't find this out until a few days ago but when I was in college, my uncle or maybe it was my parents, somebody would call me and they'd say, hey, we heard like the song from Tomcat Screaming Outside on CSI today. I'd be like, how the hell did that wind up on CSI? And I just found out the other day, Alan Griffiths was the music supervisor <laughs> for CSI. So it's... It, it's affected me, like his death. Like it's mm-hmm. it obviously it was unexpected. He died. He was only fifty-seven years old. Yeah, it's pretty young. And it made me really reflect on how much of my time was spent listening to these records. How much I still listen to these records, but how much they affected me in my formative years. Mm-hmm. And you want to give all that credit to Roland Orzabal, and obviously, again, all that credit is due to him, but. Mm-hmm. I need to give it to Alan Griffiths because at the same time there's other music that I've discovered because of me being a fan of that music that sure. I would have probably never found and I would be some jackass who just listens to too much Creed now. 
<laughs> Thank God you're not dead. Uh, I, I think as as far as the lasting legacy that he's left with me, like I, I wasn't that familiar with his his contributions outside of what I knew from you. But I would say two things. One, the older I get, the harder it becomes for me to find new things that intrigue me and, and challenge me as a listener. And being able to hear his band Apartment, I mean, that's that's one of those things where it's just like, oh my god, there's another post-punk band I haven't heard. And that's that's always really cool. And in addition to that, I mean, just doing this podcast, I have, it's very well documented, I have a very contentious relationship with Raul and the Kings of Spain and, and Elemental. And, but it's it's nice that he was sort of the driving force behind these albums that uh, really challenged me because when we were doing this podcast, when we first started, I was like, oh, it's going to be easy for me to be a Tears for Fears fan because I love the hurting. I love songs from the Big Charlie. <laughs> it just it just kept getting easier. And then I, when I, when we got to those albums, it's like, okay, this, this is a little different. This is this is something. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so thank you thank you for challenging me, Alan Griffiths. You're uh, you're a hell of a guy. Also, man, apartments underrated. Somebody. Combine their uh, their songs on Spotify and release an album. Yeah, and don't sleep on the fact that he was he was Tears for Fears, mm-hmm. just as much as Roland Orzabal was. Even if he was not an official member, he was more of Tears for Fears than Kurt Smith was. Yep, for a while, yeah, that's that's how it was. All right, so we're not going to end on a super somber note. I promise. We got God's mistake coming through the headphones. We do. Is it still playing? Yep. <laughs> I don't even That's hear all it. Right. Huh? Go figure. Well, just a little treat for all you Raul and the Kings of Spain fans out there. Oh, you know why? I turned it down on the mixer, but it's still turned up on your headphones. Oh, so you've been getting completely different audio from me. Oh, no worries. Well, hey everybody, welcome to that distraction. Yeah, this is this is actually kind of funny because. I've been turning it down on my headphones so it's easier for me to listen to, and you've just had music blasting in your ears the entire time. Can we talk about the setup here, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> Steve and I are about to kiss. <laughs> We're situated on literally a love seat mm-hmm. with this microphone right between us. Yep, it's great. And uh, just a, a, a giant cornucopia of wires and beer bottles, which is, that's how we function here. Discourse in the big chair. We're very serious. <laughs> so cheers yep here's cheers the, to Alan Griffiths here's to Alan Griffiths and doing a podcast where you're about to make a kissy face with someone <laughs> mm. no tongue though Steve come on I'm, I'm not that I'm not, not I don't put out on the first date man okay um, yeah let's let's talk about the new song oh my god how, how have we not talked about the new song yeah how about that how about that <laughs> we always joke about this when are we going to hear new music it's like the the long-standing punchline to every single one of our, our podcasts that we do we actually got new music what is this okay we're, let's, let, we're gonna play it we're gonna play it um, play it and playing? then talk about it yeah let's play it a little bit here we go We're gonna get at least at least a good chunk of this, right? Mm-hmm. At least until Miles Davis Ghost comes in. Yeah. Also, Roland, why do you have like a giant tarantula as your SoundCloud picture? Well, I was gonna say, when this was posted on Twitter, I nearly flicked my tablet out the window because I was like, ah, spider. <laughs> be happy, cause you know I cannot bear to 
I also want to say, in addition to having a spider as his SoundCloud picture, Roland Orzabal uses the name Roly as his name on SoundCloud, which is adorable. Oh, adorable. Adorable. Roly adorable. So this is interesting because um, I, I think when I asked you about the song before I even heard it, uh, my, my first thought was, Steve, does it? What, how's it sound like in comparison to Everybody Loves a Happy Ending or like those cool covers that they did a couple years ago? And you're like, oh no, it doesn't sound like that. And I was just like, oh God. <laughs> and my first thought was, did, did he make Elemental again? Tell me he didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it sounds more... Like something from Songs from the Big Chair, right? Yeah. But I think it's a misnomer to say it doesn't sound, you know, like the complete opposite of um, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. I think that record was just, it was really like Britpop and uh, like Beatles influenced. Whereas this, I think the production is kind of carried over from that album. Mm -hmm. Like it it sounds the same in terms of how it's mixed and how it's engineered. Um, but, But the song itself is very... Um, it, it's very old school Tears for Fears, which is kind of cool. Yeah, very dramatic. Very, very dramatic. In just three minutes, too. Yeah. So here's the other thing. This song, which, here, I'll turn it up again. We missed a crescendo with a trumpet solo. Oh, yeah. Let me see if I can find Maybe the trumpet. We can go back a little bit. Huh? There we go. There we go. See if we can get some trumpet solo. Oh, God. I mean, when I first heard this solo, I'm just going to let it play, actually. There is no hint that that's going to come in, by the way. Oh, no. None. So, the weird thing about this song is... And Steve and I have kind of gone back and forth on this. Is it a song? Is this a standalone song? And I'm inclined to say no. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it feels like a bridge between other things. So if it's a, it could be a standalone track, but I feel like it it exists to link other things together. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when reading. Even years ago, reading about them when they first started recording and writing the album, Roland Orzabal is quoted as saying, like, this is very dark, this is very dramatic, and as a joke, we're calling it Tears for Fears the Musical. <laughs> and if that's the case, like, if they're kind of going down that that road, like, well, that makes sense, because this mm-hmm. could easily be, like, a segue between two other songs, like, maybe if the entire album is, like, trying to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And and that's something they've done before on Songs in the Big Chair, too, where it feels oh, yeah. like, uh, uh, oh, jeez, what am I thinking of? Um, broken, Head Over Heels Broken. Yeah, Head Over Heels Broken, where a, a song just kind of, like, 
seamlessly transitions into another thing. And that's that's really what this feels like. Because it's, it's not that it's like incomplete. I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. But it just feels like it's a blip, it's a snapshot, it's a part of something much, much bigger. And we have no context. This is just something that Roland Dorzable put on to a brand new SoundCloud file and tweeted about. Mm-hmm. And again, scared me half to death with that spider. <laughs> and then made you happier than you've ever been in your how entire many, life. Well, how many tablets and computer screens were ruined because of this picture? <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Roland, I know you're listening. I know you downloaded this on iTunes this morning. Mm-hmm. Just waiting for days. Yeah. Um, he actually wrote this song about our podcast. <laughs> He's like, Discourse from the Big Chair, guys. I know you've wanted me to play Mother's Talk, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> but please be happy. And see, we're already singing it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good hook. And it's, God, it, it, but it is, and I think, like I said, it's like the herding meets songs from the Big Chair. Mm-hmm. With you know modern production tech like techniques, but yeah, I don't quite know what to make of it either because it it does feel like a snippet. Or if this isn't the full song, like maybe this is just a teaser for what's going to be like this six minute epic song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean epic in the literal sense, not like the you know it's going to be epic, bro. Not in the meme like sense. <laughs> yeah, not not in the Red Hot Chili Peppers sense. Oh. <laughs> Although I do love me some Californication, do you really? Is that is this a conversation I dream we need to have about it? Oh God, I hope I, not. I don't. That's a joke. Yeah, this isn't shirtless white guy music. This is shirts on white guy. Unless music. it's the video for I believe. Hey yo, tears of fears joke. Okay. Uh, any last <laughs> thoughts on uh, this song on Alan Griffiths? Anything else you want to share with the audience? Well, bringing it all back together. I mean, I can't really say much more about Alan Griffiths other than... Breaking it down again? Is that what you really want to say? (laughs) I would love to. I mean, (laughs) R.I.P., I'm still actually very sad about that. Um, But uh, as far as the two were connecting with this new song, uh, a few weeks ago, Roland, before he tweeted the song out from his SoundCloud profile, had said that they hoped to release a new song before the tour... And people were saying, like, well, are you going to play it? He was like, I bloody well hope so. So I feel like this could become part of the set, but maybe there's still a lot of time. I mean, three or four weeks doesn't sound like a lot of time, but there's still enough time for them to sneak in a song release, get it out there, and play it Mm -hmm. as part of their new set. And when I heard Please Be Happy, I thought, like, oh, man, like, this could mean a different set list. Other than hearing the big hit songs we know we're going to hear, maybe we'll hear some of the more dramatic music, like Working Hour or even um, Start of the Breakdown from The Hurting. Oh, that'd be fucking cool. (laughs) A boy can dream. A boy can dream. All right, Steve. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, Like we said, when when are we going to see Tears for Fears? What day? It's May 13th. May 13th. So, hey, if you're in Milwaukee... And uh, you want to come have a beer with us, let us know. Tweet at us. You can tweet at me, at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve, C-U-F-F. Uh, you can go to at Optimism Vaccine on Twitter as well and tweet at us. You can go to OptimismVaccine.com for all kinds of cool pop culture writing and podcasts and all kinds of good stuff. And, and uh, Steve, where do we find you? At Colmania. That's at K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. 
And I'm now realizing that I might be breathing sriracha into your face. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Are we finally going to kiss? Is this going to happen? <laughs> Is this real? Oh, my God. It might have to happen. Uh, yeah, so tweet at us if you want me and Steve to kiss. And whether you do or don't, do us a big favor. If you're listening right now, if you've listened to uh, Discourse from the Big Chair, um, or if you're a new fan that you're just discovering us, First of all, go back, listen to the old episodes. We go through their whole discography, a bunch of other episodes as well, besides the whole thing. We've covered the band in pretty much every way you can think of. But what we need you to do is we need you to go on iTunes and rate and review the podcast. Why do you need to do that? Well, if you give us five stars and you write a written review, and that part's very important, then the more of those we get, the easier it becomes to discover this podcast. And the easier it becomes to discover this podcast... The more Tears for Fears fans like yourself, and the more non-fans who just like music in general and are curious can discover it, and they can love Tears for Fears even more. So please, go to iTunes, give us five stars, give us a review, that would be super helpful. Other than that, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing the band in May, and uh, that's, that's about it. That's about Fingers it. Fingers yeah. crossed for a new album so we can just start an episode with uh, Steve Coleman screaming with joy and crying. It'll probably happen in Milwaukee. We might need to take video. Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll definitely take a video. Put that up on Snapchat, baby. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.